I hope you got some rest. Um, I'm excited to dive into God's word with you. Uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter five, you may not know who I am. My name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here at our church family in, at this campus, the Florence campus. And um, what that means is I get to wake up thinking about loving high school students, pointing them to Jesus. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, roughly, well, most Sunday nights, there's about 150 to 200 middle school and high school students meeting here that we are trying to encourage and point to Jesus. Um, there are students who are coming to know Jesus. There are students growing in their faith. So if you're not here, and if you're at home, maybe having dinner or watching, watching a game, if you would just think about it every once in a while, pray for our students. Pray for our, our over, over 40 volunteers who are here loving and caring for students. Um, we love what we do, but we covet your prayers because uh, we need God's help uh, to do and to accomplish, I think, all the things that he has for us. But I love my role uh, at, in loving and caring for high school students and, and their families. Um, But here we are in a series called Upside Down Living, where we've been taking a look at um, the Beatitudes specifically. It's it's a part of a greater sermon that Jesus did, but the Beatitudes and the radical nature, the radical nature of the Beatitudes. And I've loved sitting with you and hearing God's word throughout this series. I've been challenged. I've been encouraged. um, But today we're going to focus in on uh, this Beatitude called Peacemaking peacemaking. Uh, All we have to do is look around just a little bit, and we see that our world is full of conflict, right? Full of conflict. Conflict between nations, people groups, political parties, conflict within churches, between churches, within families, between families, friends. It's everywhere. Sin has broken so many things, and and, and our relationships is one of those that we taste it and see it most regularly. But what I hope you will see today as we unpack God's word is that kingdom people are peacemakers. Kingdom people are about making peace. It's what we are, and it's what we do. Kingdom people are. Our peacemakers. But let's take a look at God's word together. And if you are able, would you mind standing in honor of God's word? And we're going to read Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. 1 through 16. And if, if you're wondering, I'm reading out of the ESV. So if you're using like your app and you want to be in the same one, that's, that's where I'm going to be at. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been unpacking the, the Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5. We've been setting them up as um, marks of kingdom people. Like this is what people in the kingdom look like. It's not been a, a series of messages on how you become kingdom people. It's not a series of messages on if you do these things and check these boxes, you can receive forgiveness and be a kingdom person. No, this is... Uh, uh, These are the marks of kingdom people. But what that allows us to do, and I think this is faithful to God's word and how he wanted us to approach this, is when we see these as marks of kingdom people, there's really two ways God can use that. Well, obviously way more than that. But there's two particular ways I think God uses this in our lives. One, as Brian mentioned a couple weeks ago, it functions as a mirror to help us maybe see more clearly what's going on in our life. But the second one is This is an invitation into deeper obedience and love and joy in God. Deeper obedience to God, love for God, and joy in God. So any kingdom person, any person who has experienced forgiveness uh, in Jesus, from Jesus, is going to read through the Beatitudes, and God's going to challenge us. He's going to show us places where we're maybe not as much like Jesus as we would like to be or maybe should be. And that's totally appropriate. We need to see these as both the mirror that distinguishes kingdom people, but also as an invitation to deeper obedience and love of God. So with that in mind, we are talking about peace Making. And I want to give you a definition for peacemaking. I kind of was working on it. It's not in your bulletin, so if you want to write this down, you can. A peacemaker is a person who acts to restore peace between people. So a peacemaker is someone who's taking action to help restore peace between people. A peacemaker actively pursues peace through repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Peacemakers don't fake peace. They don't run from conflict. Peacemakers press in, pursue peace in their own relationships, but also in helping other people achieve reconciliation. Peacemaking has at its goal, its very heart, restored relationships. Restored relationships. So today, I want to walk you through uh, God's word to talk about four marks of kingdom peacemakers. Four marks of what kingdom peacemakers can, should, and maybe will look like. And the first one is this. Kingdom people pursue peace because we are family. 
Kingdom people pursue peace because we are family. So this is not necessarily a go and be like this. This is a reminder or maybe a why behind peacemaking. We make peace. We pursue peace as kingdom people because we are family. You see right here in verse 9 of Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, God is the supreme peacemaker. God is the supreme peacemaker. Through Jesus, our relationship with God was restored, was made right. We were rebels. We were, uh, we were against God. And through Jesus, our relationship has been restored. God is the ultimate peacemaker. And God's word is very clear that once you've trusted in Jesus... Once you put your faith in Jesus, you've been adopted into his family. Have you ever heard the phrase, like father, like son? Or maybe, or maybe the apple never falls very far from the tree, right? You've heard those phrases before. These hold true for God's family as well. Like father, like son, God's family is marked by peace, pursuing peace. Peace, being about peacemaking. Galatians 3, and just reminded me of this as I was thinking about being adopted into God's family. It says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. That's that beautiful picture that God has adopted you into his family if you have trusted in Jesus. So, so peacemaking is no longer an option. It is a family trait. It is what Jesus' family looks like. It's a part of his family culture. For those who have trusted in Jesus and been adopted into his family, peacemaking is what we are. It's what we do because we are family. We've been adopted into God's family. And if you read throughout scriptures, you will see all over the place God's call on his people to pursue peace. In in, uh, Psalm 34, verse 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. James 3, 17 and 18, uh, at the very end of that that portion says, "And, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God cares about peacemaking. It's dear to his heart. It's a family trait he has uh, worked about. And so it should matter to us. Kingdom people pursue peace because we are family. And we belong to the family of God. The second thing I think we see throughout scripture, the second mark of kingdom peacemakers is kingdom people prioritize peace. If at all possible. If at all possible. You'll see in a moment why I've got that tagline at the very end, if at all possible. If you wouldn't mind turning in your copy of the scriptures to to Romans chapter 12, we're going to go to one of my favorite spots um, that shows what kingdom living looks like. You see, Romans is this beautiful book where for, for many, many chapters, the author lays out for us the amazingness of the gospel, how amazing it is that Christ's righteousness is working on our behalf, that, that true faith in Jesus brings forgiveness for eternity. But then in, in, in chapter 12, we kind of start to see this turn in the book. We see this turn where God starts to, uh, through, through, the, through the author, talk about kingdom living. 
This is what it looks like to live as a person who's been bought by Jesus. So Romans 12, and I want to read, I'm actually going to read a, 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 little, a little portion of it here because it gives us a picture of what kingdom living looks like. I'm going to start in verse 9 of chapter 12. Here we go. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And now pay attention to this verse. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You read that again, that last portion. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We have to be either blind or unwilling to look at God's word to reject the idea that we are called to be peacemakers. We have to either be blind or unwilling to look at what God's word has to say. Because God's word is full of his calling for people to be about peace and specifically about unity in his people. Unity in the church. Unity among the kingdom people. Now, I love this verse 18, and I want to look at this together because there's two kind of key phrases that help us understand a little bit more about peacemaking. And the first one is, just quite simply, if possible. Now, if possible tells me two things, right? <laughs> tells me sometimes it's not possible, and then sometimes it is possible. Sometimes it's not possible, and sometimes it is is possible. But can I just be like 100% honest? I think most of us tend to lean towards it's not possible. It's easier. It takes less effort. It's easier to blame the other person or the two people that are in conflict. So that, I want to press you to consider that what, what, what God might actually mean here is it's way more possible than you realize if you're willing to be a peacemaker. But then there's that second part which actually continues his thought and he says, so far as it depends on you. This, <laughs> this puts this point right in your lap as a believer. It like, it like plops right down on your lap because it's about you as kingdom people, us as kingdom people. God's word places your response and your actions, your peacemaking in your hands as much as it depends on you or, or, the, or the words here, so far as it depends on you. We have to be people, kingdom people, who actually lean more towards, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I think it's possible because Jesus is that ultimate peacemaker. Peace is possible. Reconciled relationships are possible. And then, yes, there are times where you've put forth effort, you've put forth time, 
You've prayed. You've worked really hard. And at the end of the day, you've done what you can. And let me just tell you, if that's been your mode and if you've done all of of those things, that's faithfulness. God takes care of the actual reconciliation. You are faithful to what God calls you to be and do. So as far as it depends on you, pursue peace, pursue reconciliation, pursue reconciled relationships. It grieves me, oh, it grieves me when I see disunity in the church family. It grieves me most when it's in our church family, but when we think bigger, kind of same team mentality, other churches, it grieves me to see disunity and and, and fighting amongst kingdom people. See, it should be no surprise that we're going to sin against each other. That should actually not surprise us. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. When you put two sinners together, sin often happens. We, we sin against one another. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But we should absolutely be surprised when there's a lack of reconciliation. We should be surprised. We should be grieved when kingdom people are unwilling to reconcile are unwilling to pursue reconciliation in relationships. I think what that shows, if, if, there's, if there's unresolved conflict, unwillingness to reconcile, it shows an emaciated view of what Jesus did for you. It's, it's this, do, do you realize what Jesus did for you? There's nothing this other person could have done to you that was worse than our entire sin that Jesus bore. There's nothing. Grieves me to see kingdom people unwilling to reconcile. We as kingdom people are peacemakers. We pursue reconciliation. It's beautiful and glorious. Yes, hard, but so good. Kingdom people pursue peace. So we pursue peace because we're family. We prioritize peace, if at all possible. And then kingdom people sacrifice. They sacrifice for peace just like Jesus. This is the one that really my point that we're going to spend the majority of my time on because here is where we get hope. We look to Jesus as the greatest peacemaker and as we look to him, we learn what it looks like to make peace. We learn what it looks like to make peace. Jesus ultimately is the greatest peacemaker and he made great sacrifice for peace for you and I. So before we unpack this point, I just wanna uh, bring something to your attention. I cannot and will not be able to unpack biblical peacemaking and teach you everything in the next 30 minutes that we know from God's word. It's impossible. But if you're looking for a little book, well, that's not so little, a book to read, (laughs) Grab Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker. I think we have it in the Resource Center. You can grab it on Amazon. He's actually got a a, a version for for young families. It's called The Young Peacemaker, I think. He's got one for students called, it's just the student edition of The Peacemaker. Uh, It unpacks in such a great and helpful and full way what biblical peacemaking looks like. But for today, we're going to look at Jesus and look at really three ways that Jesus sacrificed for peace. Three specific ways. And, and if you, just so we're on the same page, let me read to you 2 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus Christ is the best, the perfect, the most awesomest peacemaker. That is Jesus. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to from Jesus and how he made peace for us on our behalf with God is Jesus loved before he was loved back. So we as peacemakers are to love before we are, we are loved. I think about Romans 5, 8 where it says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an initiating love, a pursuing love, a pre-existing love. We were loved before we could ever return love. It is this initiating love of God that moved him towards reconciliation. Think about this just for a moment. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still in full rebellion against the king of the universe, God already loved us. And in fact, his great love moved Jesus to sacrifice his life, to lay down his life for us on the cross. Kingdom peacemakers know what it's like to love even in the face of no love being returned. Is that hard? Absolutely. Is that tough? Absolutely. But we have Jesus as our great hope and model. And Jesus has accomplished for us. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Like, this is not a, you don't have a junior varsity Holy Spirit, like there's the real thing, and then there's like the lesser version that we all get. No, you have the Holy Spirit working in your life. So yes, is peacemaking hard? Absolutely. But God is working in you. Kingdom peacemakers. And this is what I think love, initiating love, really looks like in our life. Kingdom peacemakers are professional repenters. (laughs) I don't think it's a real word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Kingdom peacemakers are professional repenters. What that means is we as kingdom people are the best as pressing into situations where we have sinned and trying to make it right and and repenting and asking for forgiveness. We press into those moments before we have a hope that they might, you know, repent backwards if there was, you know, mutual sin. And can I just be real honest? Almost every conflict, there's sin on both sides. Like, almost every conflict. But kingdom people press into these moments. We, are, we, we love first by owning our sin, coming to our friends, our family, our coworkers, and saying, here's what I've done wrong. I need to ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry that I've acted this way or treated you this way. It doesn't matter if it's in your home, at your school, maybe at your workplace, maybe on a sports team, or, or maybe your community group, or here in your church family, it doesn't matter. Kingdom people We are peacemakers and we own our sin and are great at repenting. We're great at pursuing repentance and reconciliation. So what does this actually look like? Like, Ryan, what do you mean by this? Okay, so let's let's say um, husband and wife have had an argument, maybe after dinner. Um, Could be about something really important, could be about something dumb. Normally it's something dumb, just be honest. (laughs) And so we, you know, we've climbed in bed and... uh, so I'm gonna play it, play it, I'm gonna role play it from my perspective. So I'm, you know, the husband laying in bed. Oh man, you know, the Lord's starting to work in my heart. Like, I know I've sinned. 
Like, I, I totally, I shouldn't have said that to Tabitha. I shouldn't have talked like that, or I shouldn't have got angry so quickly. I, I know I'm wrong. But man, she's probably like 90%, 95% the problem. No, wait, no, no, it's mine. No, I need to own my sin. Like, that's like, you've all done that. You know you've done that. I, you know, you, they're the 1% or, you, no, you're the 1%, they're the 99 We all do that. Kingdom peacemakers throw the percentages out the window. And they say, I know I've sinned. And so it's your job as a kingdom peacemaker to roll over in bed and say, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have talked this way. Will you please forgive me? Jesus calls me to be something different than I was. Will you forgive me? That's a love that moves before they're loved back. That's a love that initiates before the loved back. And here's also what love does not do. It does not quote the percentages. <laughs> and it does not follow up repentance with, is there anything you would like to say? <laughs> Bad. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. You initiate. You initiate. You repent. You seek forgiveness. Kingdom people are professional repenters. We press in because we know we were loved before we could love back. We were saved and nothing to offer. So I have nothing to lose by owning my sin and trusting Jesus to bring reconciliation. Maybe it's your, your, your friends. Maybe you've... Uh, you know, got in an argument about something or maybe they posted like a picture on Instagram that didn't flatter you, you know, some one of those kind of arguments. And here's what, this, here's what this looks like. You're the one to send the text message. You're the one to make the phone call. You're the one to say, I'm sorry first. Be the one who's quickest to get there. Even if you've both sinned against each other, be the quickest to get to repentance because love initiates Send that text, send that phone, you know, make that phone call. Grab them in the hallway. Grab them before community group and just say, I'm sorry, that was not helpful. It was not encouraging. It did not build you up. Would you please forgive me? I, I wanna encourage you. That was, not, that was not how Jesus asked me to live. Or maybe it's, maybe it's with your kids. Now, if you're a parent in here, I want you to, we've gotta get this. The greatest way we display Jesus in our home is actually in repentance. Dads, we need to own this. Moms, you need to do it as well. But dads, we seem to be historically bad at this. So yeah, I raised my voice at my son or, or I, I, uh, I was angry and harsh with him. Yeah, you're a sinner. You're gonna do that. But here's what you must do next. You need to pull them aside and seek forgiveness. You need to say, buddy, I'm so sorry. That's not how Jesus wants me to live. I need Jesus' help every day. And this is a great example of that. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Here's how daddy wants to live. We can do that. And you will be putting Jesus on display more clearly than maybe if they saw you reading the Bible in the morning. Or more clearly than by you driving them to church every Sunday. I'm not discounting those as unhelpful. I just... We need to be peacemakers and be about reconciled relationships. And when we sin against people, we are tearing them down. And since we've been loved well, 
we can press into those moments and be quick to repent, trusting God to take care of the rest. Right? Kingdom peacemakers press into these moments. I, what about with unbelievers? Like, that can get really awkward, doesn't it, sometimes? <laughs> I remember this one time, I think I've told this story before, but it just, it, it just fits so perfectly. I, I, was, I worked my way through uh, college, uh, working at a Marriott, did a lot of banquets, kind of room service stuff. Uh, and I had a manager for uh, most of that time who was, we would just kind of joke back and forth, right? We had that kind of relationship. He was kind of funny. He would like to joke with us, and we would joke, but... There was this one time I remember, I was a little upset with him at the time. So you know when you're a little upset and you you do a normal joking relationship, it becomes a lot less joking and a lot more like like snappy and like zingy. I don't know how, I really don't know how to describe that. Just has a little edge to what you were saying. And I remember the Lord convicting me. I was probably 18 or 19. I remember the Lord convicting me and and just reminding me, "This this is a place I'm on mission for Jesus. And so I went to my boss, I went to him and said, you know, Sir, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, I talked to you in a way that was disrespectful um, back there. And I, I just want to ask you to forgive me. It's not how I want to represent Jesus. And it's not the kind of person I want to be. <laughs> and man, I, his eyes were like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> he, had, he had no idea. The, the, what he wanted most was for me to get out of his office at that moment. And, and so I, don't even, I honestly don't even remember what his response was. I think it was just something like, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. Hey, you need to go set that room. And like, it was just kind of like, but is that not peacemaking? Is that not me taking by the grace of God that first step to say, now I know I sinned. I know I was wrong. Did he have some sin on his part? Probably, but I know I was wrong. So peacemakers own their sin and, and repent of it. We are excellent, professional repenters. That's what kingdom people, kingdom peacemakers are and do. I'd love for you to turn with me to Philippians 2, because I want to look really more specifically at two ways that Jesus modeled peacemaking for us from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, because once again, it's a beautiful picture of what one anothering and kingdom life looks like, but it also tells us something about what peacemaking should look like in our lives. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, listen, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Oh, that's so good. Jesus putting his peacemaking on display, his humility, his willingness to lay down his own rights. That's something we need to consider as peacemakers. We need to lay down, humbly lay down our rights for the sake 
of gospel peacemaking, of, of pursuing reconciliation with people. Consider for a moment, Jesus did not have to do what he did. There wasn't something broken in the Trinity. He could have stayed where he was, never took on human flesh, never walked this earth, never died on the cross. He could have done that. But he humbly laid down his life and his rights for us. This is humility. This is kingdom peacemaking. And I think some of the rights that we hold on to and that cause the most conflict aren't even rights at all. So Jesus had every reason. He could have stayed where he was and been just fine. But often what causes the most conflict in us is we hold on to these quote-unquote rights that aren't actually biblical in their nature. Let me, let me show you what I mean. There's two I want to talk about. First of all, the right of self-expression or freedom of speech. All right. Now, if you're, if you're somebody who loves, you know, the Constitution and the amendments, you might have freaked out for just a moment. Just hold on. Let me just say it kind of really clearly. As kingdom peacemakers, just because we live in the United States of America and we support the First Amendment does not mean we have the freedom to say whatever comes to our mind. Do you get that? Just because we live in the USA and we support the First Amendment does not give us the right to say whatever we're thinking. The Bible has a very different narrative about that idea. It's biblical to shut your mouth. It's biblical to not speak sometimes. It's biblical to listen. But I think some of us, we hold so tightly to actually what our world worships, this freedom of expression, that we're unwilling to lay down our rights to say whatever we want. And that's a right, I think, is not a right. <laughs> and we need to lay that down for the sake of peacemaking. Lay that down for the sake of peacemaking. Have you ever, like, don't give me names, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> Have you ever met somebody who when they kind of walk into a room or walk into a situation, things just like explode? <laughs> like people start like getting angry with each other and, and you can kind of like, whenever that person goes, things don't work out very well. You, I don't know, maybe you don't have somebody in mind. That is the opposite of peacemaking. Stirring up trouble, stirring up strife, stirring up arguments is the opposite of peacemaking. That doesn't mean we never speak. That doesn't mean we never stand on truth. That doesn't mean we never say anything. But we need to learn to practice wisdom. And stirring up strife and argument is not peacemaking. Let me give you a very kind of fun example of this. So do we have any UK basketball fans in here? Are you guys not even willing to be like, is it like the week of Duke, you're a little scared? Like, is that what's going on? Okay, UK basketball fans. Um, if you're not a basketball fan, I'm sorry, try to catch up with me. There's this 
thing going on right now in college basketball where, where play, players can, can, uh, can come to a school, they get a free, you know, free ride to play basketball, but then they only stay one year and they jump to the NBA next year. Okay? Um, there's a number of teams that are doing this that allows them to get the best players. They can go to the NBA the next year, um, but every year they've got like a brand new team. UK fans are all over the board when it comes to whether they like this or not. It's won as a championship. Yeah, but I don't know my team. Like, we're all over the board. I'm not really a UK fan, but hear me out. I was sitting in, my, in, in our office area over here probably this summer, and I was talking with my intern, Steve Petrie, and uh, Peter LaRuffa, I think, was there as well. And Bob Greenwood comes walking by. And if you don't know Bob, Bob, he does bleed blue. Like, it like literally bleeds blue. Okay, that's a lie. Um, but he loves him some UK basketball. So he comes walking by, and we were talking about something similar to this. And I don't even remember which one of us did it. But one of us was like, hey, Bob, what do you think about the one and done? <laughs> and so he comes over. He's like leaning over this, this little cubicle area and just like, just lays into it. Like, oh, I can't stand it. This is all the things that are wrong with it. Yada, 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 yada. It was one of those like, literally, we just lit the, the candle and just let it go. <laughs> but it didn't stop there. Oh, I'm going to fall over. It didn't stop there. Brian Fannin's door was open. <laughs> so Brian comes walking out and like, all right, I need, I need to say something. I, I can't just sit and listen to this. And so he kind of weighs in. And all the while, Stephen and Peter and I, I don't, think, I don't think any of us are big UK fans, are just watching this happen. And it was hilarious. It was hilarious. But let's just be real. How many of us do that in real life? About things that matter. Way more than UK basketball. We either do it in our community group or in our friend circle. We know what to say that'll frustrate people. Or maybe we're all over social media posting memes and things that are just not helpful, that poorly paint a person in a certain side one way or the other. Are we really peacemakers? Like, are we really pursuing peace in that moment? Or are we just enjoying stirring it up and causing trouble? Listen to this quote. Thomas Watson was a Puritan preacher and an author from the 1600s, and he said this when he was talking about the Beatitudes. Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and stands and warms himself by the fire. Read that one more time. Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself by the fire. We are not to be that kind of person. Kingdom people are peacemakers. We pursue peace. We help people reconcile. If there's an, an argument, we, we try to help people reconcile and understand one another. That's what peacemakers are. That's what peacemakers do. We don't drop a bomb and watch things explode. We pursue peace. There's another right that I think, it's a quote-unquote right, that we need to lay down. And it is this right to never be mistreated. I think we believe, I've trusted Jesus for salvation, I'm on the good team now, I should never be mistreated. Jesus disagrees with you all throughout scripture. In fact, he says you will be mistreated. We need to lay this quote-unquote right down at, at the foot of the cross and recognize Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, especially when we've been wronged, especially when we've been mistreated. 
peacemakers actually develop the ability to pursue peace and reconciliation, but peacemakers are also really good at overlooking offenses. So Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, kingdom people, if you've experienced the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus in your life, we actually can and should be good at overlooking minor offenses, at assuming the best in other people. It's not just sweeping it under the rug. We just know Jesus has forgiven us much, so we're just quick to forgive, right? Now, not everything is gonna work like that. Not, you don't sweep everything under it. There are things that need to be dealt with. There are things that need to be pursued, conversations that need to be have, had. But sometimes we make literally a mountain out of a molehill. We, there's this one comment that we stew on for, for, for years. And we need to learn how to overlook minor offenses by trusting in the grace that Jesus has given us through the cross. At the end of Philippians 2, the section we just read, uh, if I could summarize it in, in one way, it would be Jesus moved towards you. He didn't wait for you to come to him. So we talked about initiating love. This is really just another way of talking about it. Um, this is Jesus stepped towards you and towards conflict, towards hardship, towards things that would not be clean and easy and nice for the sake of peacemaking. He stepped into it. So we as peacemakers need to be willing to get our hands dirty sometimes. So this is particularly helpful when we want to help other people come to a reconciled relationship. Sometimes we are quick to say, I have nothing to do with that. I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Um, I know if I get involved there, it's going to take my time, take my energy, probably phone calls, probably emails. Uh, I'm not touching it. When rather, we should maybe be a little bit more like Jesus, who stepped towards hardship for the sake of peace. He stepped towards reconciliation for the sake of accomplishing ultimate peace. Let's not be afraid of the hard work that might come from being involved in peacemaking. What if Jesus just said it's not worth my time? Or, or you're not worth my time. Think about all that Jesus did and walked through. He was disrespected by many misunderstood by his family and friends, misunderstood in his own hometown, like the people that knew him and he grew up with. He was betrayed by a friend, put through an illegal trial and sentencing, beaten and brutalized on the way to the cross, bore the wrath of God for those who would trust in him. All of these things Jesus willingly stepped towards for the sake of peacemaking. And I think that's what God calls us to do and be as peacemakers. We should be unafraid. Now, there's the flip side where we just insert ourselves into all kinds of conflict. That's not helpful either. But let's not shy away from a moment where we see God might, might be asking me to, to, to speak into this situation, 
to help two people reconcile. Sometimes that's through, you know, a longer, you know, setting of like biblical counseling. Sometimes that's just basic one anothering. A basic one anothering where you see two people do this, you see one person's hurt, one person did the hurting, and you pull this one aside and say, hey, I just want you to know that that didn't look very good. Like that, I think you hurt them, and you may need to consider dealing with that. And so sometimes it goes really well. We're like, you are so right. I didn't see that. Or you might get the, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. They did this first. And then that becomes the longer, messier, harder version of peacemaking. But when you think about Jesus and when you think about peacemaking, Jesus stepped towards the hardship. He actually knew what it was going to take and he did it anyways. I think that's what kingdom peacemaking looks like. The last thing I want to draw your attention to with just the few moments that we have left is kingdom people point others to the ultimate peacemaker in Jesus Christ. It's one, it's one thing and it's a valuable thing to pursue relational uh, reconciliation here on earth. But true, devoted kingdom peacemakers, remember the most important broken relationship is between God and man. And so they're not afraid to step into those moments to put Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, on display. They're not afraid to speak up. They're not afraid to to talk with somebody. They're not afraid to, to love somebody really well with the hope that they would know Jesus because they know the peace that they have received between God and themselves through Jesus is so amazing. It's so undeserved. It's so incredible that they want everybody else to experience that peace. Jesus is our great example. He was accomplishing this for us, but he was not afraid to press into hardship. He was not afraid to get involved. He wasn't afraid to walk into so many hard things. Yet we're willing to say, I'd rather not this person think poorly of me. Or I kind of like where our friendship is. I don't really want to press it too far. All that shows is I love me more than Jesus. There is a great gap, a broken relationship between unbelievers and God, and we hold the only thing that can remedy that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kingdom people point to the ultimate peacemaker in Jesus Christ. So as we talk through all of these things, I don't know what the Lord is bringing to your mind. I don't know if there's a relationship you feel like you need to reconcile or if there's two people you've been watching hurt each other and you feel like you, maybe the Lord's asking you to step in and try to help them work through things. Maybe there's a person we just thought about after this, after this fourth, fourth point here that you know this person does not love Jesus and I need to, to do something about it. I don't know what the Lord is bringing to your mind, but here's what I know. We, we, we sing one song and then we pray and say amen and we run out of here. But I don't want to let you do that without having something that the Lord might be calling you to do. So I'm actually going to give you 60 seconds to just bow your heads in just a moment. And I want you to consider what is my takeaway for today? Is there a relationship I need to pursue reconciliation with? Do I need to just be more thankful for the gospel? Or is there somebody that I need to talk again with or for the first time with about this great peacemaker, Jesus. So would you just bow your heads, think, pray, and consider.